0: Well, let's pray, and let's ask God to teach us out of his word this morning. Father, thank you for these things that have been shared. Very encouraging, very powerful. And I pray that for the glory of your name, that you would increase your work even more. I need your help, Lord, to to teach, to preach, give me the right heart and the wisdom And give all of us, Lord, ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying in the Word of God. So come, bring glory to your holy name through this time now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've just started a brand new preaching series on the book of Hebrews, so go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, as we always say, raise your hand, because we are passionate about studying the scriptures here, verse by verse, in detail, and so you're going to want to have the Bible open in front of you. The words in the Bible in front of you are by far the most important words you're going to be hearing this morning. My goal is to help you see these words, understand these words, what's going on here. So, um, and in the Bibles we just passed out, Hebrews chapter 1 is on page 1001, just to help you turn there. Now we saw last week that this letter to the Hebrews was written to a small house church in Rome. Lots of different, lots of house churches, and there was one particular one that this letter was written to because they were struggling spiritually. And one of the biggest areas they were struggling in was that because they'd become lax in their clinging to the Word of God. They become lax in studying the scriptures. Uh, the, their Bibles were closed at home, or actually, the, the, the scrolls were, were were not unrolled at home. They didn't read the scriptures. They weren't studying the scriptures. They weren't meditating on the scriptures. They weren't feeding on the scriptures. Um, they were probably more interested in stuff like you know gossip or you know what the latest you know gladiators were doing in Rome or different political developments amongst the Caesars and the Senate or whatever it might have been. But what had happened was that they'd become lax in their their clinging to God's word. And so that's the very first problem that the author of Hebrews tackles. And you can see it in chapter 2, verse 1. Read what he says in this first verse of chapter 2. He says, Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, I hope you're a little like, notice, notice, okay? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, that word therefore shows that all of chapter 1 is leading up to this conclusion. All of chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, is, is leading up to, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. And let's put the arc up for, for chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 1. I want to b- give you a picture of what this looks like so that you have a kind of an overview of chapter 1 and then leading into chapter 2. Can we kick that first slide up? How about the next slide? There we go. Okay, so here's, here's how the, the flow works. So in chapter 1, 1 through 4, uh, the author says, because God has spoken to us by his Son and then chapter 1, verses uh, 4 through 15, and because, or 5 through 14, because the Son is superior to the angels, so two big becauses: because God has spoken to us in his Son, and because his Son Jesus is superior to the angels, therefore, big punchline, we must pay much closer attention to the words that we've heard, to what we've heard. Now, as I thought about this, a question raised, kind of kind of, cropped up in my mind, and it's something that I've heard discussed over the last couple of years, and sometimes it's not answered in the most helpful way. So I want to raise it. See, if you've struggled with this question at all, or if you haven't, you probably will hear people talking about it, and I want to raise it here and talk about it here. Now, here's the question. If God has spoken to us in the person of His Son, Jesus, that is, if Jesus came to the earth so we could know Him, connect with Him personally, then you'd think the big punchline would be, therefore, know Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Connect with Jesus. You wouldn't think the punchline would be, therefore, know, cling to, hear words, hear truth, read a book. Right? So my question that I want to pose to begin with, just to to think about this, is are are we supposed to pay close attention to Jesus? Or are we supposed to pay close attention to words about Jesus? Which are we supposed to do? And I I hope you're already anticipating the question. The author of Hebrews would say the answer is both. Okay, Both is the answer. See, Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our passion here at Mercy Hill Church. How are you doing in your relationship with the living Jesus? Do you know him? Do you walk with him? Do you talk to him about what's going on with this and what's going on with this? Do you pour your soul out before him? Do you talk to him about the things that are thrilling you and the things that are frightening you? Is Jesus your friend? Is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he your all-satisfying treasure? Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do do you know him? Oh, if you don't yet, you are in for something amazing. Okay, I won't go just, just Just leave that one for a moment. Okay, so it's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christianity is all about words. In this book, truths in this book. That's why the author says what's most important is that you cling all the more closely. You pay much closer attention to the words you have heard. And, and here, here's why. It's because the way that we have the strongest relationship with Jesus is through meeting him in the truth of his word. That's how God has set things up. The way we connect the most closely with Him is in the truth of His Word. It's not by just kind of out here in, 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 in a fog somewhere, but we we see Him now. Here's an example. Tuesday, I got a phone call, and uh, when I hung up from this phone call, I I was feeling fearful. I was feeling uh, discouraged. I was I was really worried, worried, fearful, and discouraged. And and I know. Um, from the scriptures and from walking with Jesus, so when, when, when fear is rising up and discouragement and worry rises up, at that moment I, I am I'm not. I don't, my heart connection with the living Jesus has dissipated. Right? You understand that? Because I'm not seeing Him. I'm not knowing Him. I'm not trusting Him anymore at that point. And so, what what can I do? How do I see him again and sense his presence again and trust his love and power and mercy and authority again? Well, I I quoted to myself Romans 8.32, which goes like this. Um, I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget it if I was up here. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, his son, freely give us all things? And so I quoted that to myself, and I, and I just talked, I talked to God the Father and to Jesus the Son about this. Father, you, you did the excruciatingly difficult thing for me, of sending your own son, and and slaughtering him in my place, so that I could be forgiven. Dads, think about your son. That would be the most excruciating thing to do. And so, God, Father, if you did that, Jesus, if you were willing to have that be done, then surely, if you did that excruciatingly and, and, and infinitely difficult thing, you're not going to hold back anything from me. You're going to give me everything I need to have an eternity of heart-satisfying joy in you. Okay? So I was just talking to, talking to the Father about this. I was talking to Jesus about this. And as I did, as I, as I... Sought Jesus in the truth of the word. Slowly, slowly, I, I started to see more clearly. The problem shrunk, and the Father was magnified. You know how that goes. And 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 Jesus was magnified. And my fear, slowly, but it just diminished because I was seeing Jesus standing before me with all authority, all power, all love, saying, "I will give you everything you need." to have a, an eternity of all-satisfying joy in me. So so here's the point. The result of eight, Romans 8.32 was that there was a heart connection with the Lord, the living Jesus. That That's how it works. And that's why the author says what he does in chapter 2, verse 1. See, I, I met Jesus in the truth of this word. That's how God has set things up. See, this book is not just like for intellectuals to sit around and dissect and discuss and... And get PhDs about, okay? This book is to be read, studied, memorized, meditated, pondered because as we do that with humble hearts, the Holy Spirit will move through these words and make Jesus real to us in the truths of the scriptures, This is the the clearest way you can hear from God. This is the clearest way you can see Jesus. This is the most intimate way you can know Jesus, is through the words of the Scripture, which is why the author spends all of chapter 1 arguing, arguing, arguing. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. He's come in His Son, and we meet His Son through what we have heard. This is how we meet Jesus the most clearly, the most closely, the most powerfully. So, Mercy Hill Church, pay much closer attention to the truths of this book. Cling to the truths of this book, because as you do this, you will be clinging to Jesus. He will make his presence real to you in the truths of the scriptures. And that's what the author, That's why the author is so concerned that this small home group in Rome has become lax, in reading, studying, memorizing, meditating, quoting with each other, sharing with each other the truths of God's word, because that meant that their relationship with Jesus is weakening. Now, there's another problem, though, that the author knows he faces in this group. Some, some in this group had bought into some false teaching about angels, Angels. You're thinking, what's all this about angels in chapter 1? The reason that the author has to talk about angels in chapter 1 is because some in this little house church had, had heard teaching that angels are superior to Jesus we aren't sure of all the details, but it may very well be there were groups uh, in the Mediterranean world who taught that that angels rule all the events that happen. Whenever something happens, angel, 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 that angels rule all the events that happen. And that to to connect with God, you've got to connect with God through angels. That may or may not be, but, but it's clear from this passage that they thought angels were superior to Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches that there are angels, okay? Angels are created by God. Um, they are finite beings; they're limited in time and place. But there are angels, okay, created by God to serve God's purposes. But these believers had bought into some false teaching, and so if, if 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 they're thinking that angel, like in God's organizational trade, you got God, and then you got angels, angels, and like Jesus is way down here somewhere, they're gonna have a very hard time. Buying what God has revealed about Jesus. And so he's got to clear up their wrong thinking about angels before they will pay heed to what he has written in his words. That's what he does in verses 5 through 14. And as I studied these verses, uh, I saw four more reasons. We saw some last week, but four more reasons why we should cling to these words about Jesus. So let's look at them. Four more reasons. Just in case you weren't entirely convinced last week. Okay, four more. going to be relentless about this. This is so important. So the first reason is this. It's because Jesus is the only Son of God and because he is worshipped by the angels. Okay? Again, imagine org chart, God's organizational chart. God's up here and imagine that you thought that all these angels were here and that Jesus was, was way down here. Think of how these verses would have blown you away. Start in verse 3 of chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He does, not the angels. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Okay, that's the more excellent name that he's inherited. Which of the angels did God ever say to which of them, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. you know that, that verse is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And here's what it's talking about. After Jesus died, uh, God raised him from the dead. And, and when God raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 1, Paul, Paul says that this was God displaying this was God demonstrating. In, in a sense, this was God um, showing that Jesus is God's son. This crucified man isn't a criminal, not just a, a human being. He is God's son. So in a sense, by displaying him as God's son at that point, by demonstrating, he'd always been God's son, but this was the time when he was brought forth as God's son, in a sense, begetting as God's son. He'd always been God's son. But by raising him from the dead, God displayed him, demonstrated him, honored him as being god's son and then think about it sons are the same kind of being as their fathers are okay right nobody would disagree with that all right and so we talked about natalie ramazina earlier but so jonathan ramazina is the same kind of being as brandon so he's a he's a human being that's how it works And Jesus, being God's son, means that he is the same kind of being as God the Father is. Fully God. So that's what the author wants to have his readers just be, Whoa, this is very different than this different organizational chart we were thinking of here. Keep going in verse 5. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Again, that's from Second Samuel 7.14, Old Testament. That shows that Jesus is the Son of God. But God never said to an angel, You are my son. Only Jesus is designated as the Son of God. Verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Now, from the context of Psalm 97, most commentators think this is a reference to the second coming. I think think they're right. And so, when the second coming occurs, Jesus returns, all the angels of God are going to worship him. And you're wondering, why is Jesus called the firstborn? In a number of places in in the Bible, he's called the firstborn. And the reason he's called the firstborn isn't because there's lots of other sons. It's because the firstborn was a term used to show that the firstborn son has preeminence over everyone else. And like in in Colossians 1, Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, which means he has preeminence over all of creation. He's preeminent over everything. Jesus has always been. He was not created. There was no time when he has not been in existence. But here he is displayed as being the son of God. And at the second coming, all the angels are going to be worshiping him. So here's the takeaway that the author wants his readers to get and what I want you to get. When you cling to Jesus in these words, and when you worship Jesus in, in these words, the Father is smiling, right? Because you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. Jesus is the Father's Son, He's always been from eternity past, and in the resurrection, he's displayed as the Son. And if you're wondering, as you worship Jesus Christ, are there any angels who are like, wishing I'd worship them? No. In fact, at the second coming, you are going to see all the angels on their faces before Jesus Christ, worshiping him. Because that's how the organizational chart works. It's God, the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit and then there's this infinite decline, and then down here there's angels down here. Okay, that's how it works. So that's the first reason. Jesus is the only Son of God, and he is worshipped by the angels, which would have totally switched things around for those who've been influenced by this false teaching about angels. Second reason. We should cling to these words about Jesus in, in the scriptures. Is because when we cling to Jesus, we are clinging to God Himself. When we cling to Jesus, when I'm worshiping Jesus, looking to Jesus, talking to Jesus, trusting Jesus Christ, I am looking to, trusting, talking to Jesus to, to God Himself. Start with verse seven. The author quotes from Psalm 104:4 of the angels. He God says. He makes his angels winds and his ministers, the angels are ministers of God, a flame of fire. So the point is that angels are ministers of God. Okay, get that in your mind. Angels are ministers of God. But in these next verses, now he's going to say, but Jesus is God. Big difference. Okay, Angels are ministers of God. Jesus is God. Now, he quotes from Psalm 45 in verses 8 and 9. These are fascinating verses in the Old Testament. Okay, The Old Testament, which affirmed that there is one God, which is absolutely true. And in these verses, the author says something very curious. He says that there is a, a king who is God. And you see that right in verse 8. But of the son, he says, and he quotes from Psalm 45, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So to see that... God's on this throne, there is a king, and this king is God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So, who is the king? God. God is the king, right? Yeah, Jesus, we'll get there. You're right. Okay. Keep going. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated gladness. Who is he talking to? The king who is God, right? Now, look at this next line. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So, do you see that Jesus is the king who is God, who has been anointed as king by God? So, Jesus is God, the king is God, and the king was anointed to be king by God. How can that be? How can Jesus be a king who is God and be anointed by God? Here's why: because the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. God is three persons: God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is so crucial to to get clear in our minds. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that does not mean that each member of the Trinity is like one-third of God. Okay. What it means is that each member of the Trinity in himself is fully God. So just ponder this. So God the Father is fully God. God, in himself, all that God is, is in God the Father. So when you're connecting with God the Father, it's not like, well, there's just a third here, I want to get... No, all of God, okay? And God the Holy Spirit is himself fully God. All of who God is, is in the Holy Spirit. So when you, through faith in Christ, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you have all of God fellowship with by the Holy Spirit, Okay? And now the point of, of this passage, Jesus Christ is fully God. All of who God is, is in Jesus Christ. Powerful. So Jesus is God, which means that when you cling to these words about Jesus, when you love Jesus in the Word, when you trust Jesus in the Word, when you're talking with Jesus, you are clinging to, trusting, talking to God. Do do you honor Jesus as God? Can you unflinchingly, without any like, "Eh," just, you're God. You are fully God. Because when you say that, the Father is smiling. That's my boy. He's smiling, okay? So don't have any hesitation about this. And of course, they needed to get their thinking straight because they had put the angels up over who Jesus was. That's the second reason. When we cling to Jesus, we are clinging to God. Third reason. It's because Jesus, who created everything, will never change. He created everything, including the angels, and he'll never change. Look at Psalm, uh, well, it's verses 10 and 12, which is from Psalm 102. Now, here's how this flows. The author has just shown us that Jesus is fully God from the previous quotations. So now he can apply in this next passage, Psalm 102, which is about God, he can apply that to Jesus because Jesus is God. Look what he says, verses 10 through 12. He says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus laid the foundation. The heavens are the work of Jesus' hands. They, the heavens, will perish, but you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, heavens and the earth, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So Jesus, who created everything, will never change. Now here's here's the picture I thought of it's like you're on an iceberg okay you're on an iceberg and this iceberg is slowly melting okay that, that that's what life on earth is like okay your house is one day going to be gone okay your money one day it's going to be gone your career one day is going to be gone okay and all the things that are in this world of this earth it's like an iceberg, and it's, it's going to melt. It's melting. One day, and it's getting smaller, one day it'll just be gone. Okay? Yikes. So well, here we are. We're all on our little icebergs. Okay, but then this ocean liner pulls up. Big, massive ocean liner. And you look up, and you see the uh, HMS Word of God. Okay? And Jesus is the captain. Right? He says, uh, the iceberg you're on is melting. It's all going away. Come on board. This ocean liner's always going to be. That's the picture the author wants us to have. See, when when you cling to, when, when your heart is clinging to your career, now again, career's important. God's called you to your career. Okay, right? My career is not holier than your career if you're called by God to do your career. Okay, so nobody, nobody quit your jobs tomorrow. All right, are we clear on that? We're not clear on that yet. Okay, are we clear on that? All right. But if you, if, you, if you are clinging to your career as what's going to satisfy you, if that's your security, if you're clinging to your money, as that what's going to satisfy you? If you're clinging to popularity, if you're clinging to anything else except for Jesus Christ, you're on the iceberg, which is melting. Okay, That's where you are. But if you're clinging to Jesus as revealed in his word, then you are on the ocean liner, which will always be there. So what are you clinging to? I mean, honestly, in in your heart of hearts, when you get discouraged, when you get sad, when you feel insecure, what do you look to and say, yes, got my job, got my house, got my wife and kids? These aren't bad things, right? Okay, but what are you clinging to? Another reason for why we need to be clinging to Jesus as he is in his word. Because whenever you cling to the living Jesus, you are on the ocean liner, which is not melting. Okay, that's the third reason. Fourth reason. Here's another reason we should cling to these words about Jesus. It's verses 13 and 14, and it was puzzling to figure out what's going on here. Verse 13. To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's what God the Father said to Jesus after Jesus died on the cross. See, let me back up. From eternity past, Jesus had always been fully God, equal to the Father in every way. 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid aside his divine privileges and he lowered himself, lowered himself, lower, 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 lower to become a man. I mean, great lowering. Laid aside his divine privileges, became a man. And then he humbled himself to be nailed to a cross and suffer that excruciating torment in our place so we could be forgiven. The Father was pouring the wrath out that I deserved to have poured upon me. He was pouring it out upon Jesus instead of me and you so we could be forgiven. So. Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man and then just let them drive the nails into his hands and into his feet. At any moment, he could have called for a legion of angels and they would have delivered him, he says, right? Every moment, he chose, chose. And he died. Then God raised him from the dead and ascended into, he ascended into heaven brought him home. And then here's what the Father said to him, sit at my right hand. So the, the right hand of the Father is the place of equality with him, And it's the place of rulership over the universe. And so the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. So here's what the author wants his readers to understand. When they look up and they see God the Father, and they look over at the seat at his right hand, it's not the angel Gabriel who's there. It's not Michael the archangel who's there. There's no angel there. Jesus is there equal to the Father, ruling the universe. That's the picture he wants his readers and us to have. Okay, so the angels aren't at the right hand of God. What are the angels doing? Verse 14. They're sent out to serve us. Those who are going to inherit salvation. Verse 14. Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation the answer is yes okay so putting verses 13 and 14 together here's why we should cling to these words about Jesus is because Jesus is at the right hand of God ruling over the entire universe as God okay and because God will use angels to help us verse 14 think about this this is very encouraging one reason God created angels was to help you to help you Okay, I mean, think about times when the angels help people in Scripture. Uh, Jesus, um, fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And both Matthew and Mark tell us that angels came to him and ministered to him. Real, literal angels came to Jesus and ministered to him when he was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. Remember when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane? we read that an angel came and strengthened him. Strengthened him as he was laboring in prayer, submitting to the Father's will, knowing what was coming, battling in prayer, fighting the fight of faith. An angel came and strengthened him. In the book of Acts, when the apostles were put in prison, remember the story, Acts chapter 5? An angel came, busted open the, the door, they all got out, okay, that's pretty cool. All right, angels helping. Uh, An angel told Philip, go to a desert road. Okay, so Philip went to the desert road, and he met a government official from Ethiopia who was in a chariot reading Isaiah 53. He says, who is this about? Isaiah 53 is an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah who would be slain for our sins. And so Philip explained who Isaiah 53 was about, and this Ethiopian government official was led to faith in Christ. The angel told Philip, go to to a desert road. Okay, and he went. Then uh, when Peter was in prison, uh, hands manacled behind a cell door, angel came, broke the manacles off, opened up the door, let him out. read about that in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul was in a boat in a massive hurricane-force storm. looked like everybody was going down. An angel came and told him exactly what to say, what to do, and what would happen. Just, Just some examples here. Now, we've got to be careful, though, because we don't want to start looking for angels. This is, this is a real danger, and, and there, are, there are Christians who kind of, kind of go a little bit off the deep end on this, okay? All right, how do, how do, I want to put it delicately, but we don't start looking for angels, all right? We don't start praying to angels. We don't start focusing on angels. They are unseen angels. They do God's bidding. We focus on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But isn't it encouraging that God created angels and he will use angels to help you as you are on the road to inheriting salvation? You're not alone. You will always have all, all, A-L-L, all the help you need, whether it's by angels or some other means, God is going to help you. You will never ever be without the help you need. Ever! Isn't that awesome? So that's why we should pay all the more diligence to cling to these words about Jesus and walk this path of salvation, because every turn of that road, help, turn, help, 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 all the help we need, you will never be on your own. God will never say, this one's yours. No, 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 no. We say, help, and he's right there. God is our help in times of trouble. He is our helper. He can use angels. He can use all kinds of different means. But the point is, you will never, as you move ahead into this next week, you're going to face decisions you've got to make, temptations you got to fight, enemies you've got to love, right? Uh, discouragements you've got to battle through with faith. Just, you know, all the different stuff we face. At every turn of the road, God will give you all, all, all the help you need. Isn't that encouraging? So, cling to these words about Jesus. That's where he's going with this. Okay, now what what questions does this raise up in your mind? We covered a lot of ground here. He's quoting all these Old Testament passages. I am not sure. Uh, a lot of commentators think that they that they were Jewish background. Okay, uh, he quotes a lot of Old Testament, and he talks a lot about the priesthood that we'll be talking about soon. It may be. Other commentators say uh, maybe not. It, not lots at stake in that question. I mean, so good question though. But let's let's keep that question in the back of our minds as we study and see what you think as we keep reading the book. Okay. What else? Okay, let me keep going. Let me, let me give an answer and then keep follow-up. If I, if I implied that one person is another person, then I was wrong. Okay, that, that's not what I meant to communicate at all. There are three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each of them are distinct persons, distinct persons centers of consciousness might be a too strange of a word to use, but, but a person. E, okay, There's three persons in the Trinity. God the Father loves the Son. Okay? The Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit honors the Son. So we've got three persons. Okay, At the same time, when I say that each person in the Trinity, that all of who God is, is in that person, the point I'm saying is is that, there's, is that when you connect with the Father, you're getting all of who God is, and same with the Son, same with the Spirit. So, does that help any? And 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 this. So as long as you understand what I'm what I'm saying and not saying, it's really important. Um, I can't explain how that works. I don't want to pretend that I can. And but here's here's what I do. I mean, we need to think. And I, I don't think there's anything fundamentally contradictory about it. I just have no categories for it. Okay. I mean, my I've got a little pea-sized brain. And there's all kinds... I mean, God is like God. And so it it, it hangs together for me. Um, I, I don't find anything, like I said, contradictory about it, but I don't understand it. So, and we can talk more, but I'm sure anybody else resonating with Josie's question? Just a few of us, probably. So as long as you understand, I'm not saying that one person is another person. That's that's not what the Bible teaches. Three persons, one God. Yes. Peace, sized brain, worship. Okay? Other questions? This is good for us to wrestle with these things. The doctrine of the Trinity is crucial to get, okay, um, as much as we can. Um, that, that's not. As I studied those verses, Chris is asking about verses 8 and 9, which were a quote from Psalm 45. As I read Psalm 45, I don't. I don't I don't think there's anything being added here in other words and it's it's a puzzling thing in Psalm 45 itself shows that there is a king who is God on the throne king who is God on the throne and that God has anointed him I mean so that's I don't think anything's being added here I think this is something that's coming from the text itself as I as I read Psalm 45 so um, in other words, because Psalm 45 is being quoted directly here in these verses, verbatim, from, from the Old Testament, right? And so as I read verses 8 and 9, Your throne, O God, he's talking about God here, right? So the you is referring to God. is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, this God who is the king, his kingdom. You, this God who is king, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God... Well, who's the you referring to there? The king who is who is God. The king who is God, God has anointed him to be king. So here we have a king who is God, who is anointed by God. Are you all just like falling asleep or you're tracking with me here, okay? So all I'm saying is here's an Old Testament passage, kind of like Isaiah chapter 9, where one of the names given to the servant is, your name will be Almighty God. It's like, whoa. Old Testament talking about a baby being born who is Almighty God. Here we have a king who is God, who's anointed by God. So you have two gods. That's not the right language to use. But we have the evidence of the Trinity there. So that's how I've taken it. I would read Psalm 45, see if you see how that works in the passage there. But we need to stop. Oh, I'm I, I, sorry. Okay. So here's my encouragement to you. Mercy Hill Church. Cling, 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 cling. Pay much Closer attention to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Memorize God's word this week. Meditate on God's word this week. Study God's word this week. Read God's word this week. Open up the Bible with your family this week as you talk together. Pray over God's word this week. Meet Jesus in the truth of scripture this week. Pay all of the closer attention to the things we've heard about Jesus Christ for these reasons. Okay, Let's stand. I'll pray what's over us. Lord, strengthen us in this, I pray. So many distractions can pull us here and there. I pray that right now, by the work of your Spirit, you would use these astonishing, glorious truths about Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, being God, being the, the unchangeable, and everything else is going to be fading away except for you and your purposes in Christ. So, Lord, motivate us, strengthen us, help us to study Cling, read, share, pray over the truths of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.